hey everyone. My name is Tim and I'm one of the pastors here at Brookside. It is so great to see you and to worship together here at our Miller campus. So great to have you if you're checking in online. And then as always, huge welcome to the guys checking in from Mod 7 at our Correctional Center campus. And Melissa just mentioned this, but, but in two weeks, we'll also be welcoming everyone who's worshiping with us and joining with us from our Elkhorn campus. I cannot wait for that. A bunch of us staff were out there earlier this week just doing some small projects that, <laughs> that, that we could do, right, just to help get ready for the launch in a couple weeks. And, and it was so fun to be out there, to think that people will be worshiping there. People will be coming in to, to find and follow Jesus there, there very soon. Things are looking great. And so as we race toward the launch of that campus, let's not let up in terms of our prayers for what God is going to do in and through that place. Let's not let up in our, in our invites, right? Those who's your one relationships. We've been talking about people that, that you are investing in and praying for in a very special way. People that you want to let know, hey, there's going to be one more gospel-centered, vibrant community in that area that cares deeply for others. So let's make sure to, to let others know about that. Uh, things are coming along great for that Elkhorn campus. Volunteer needs are getting filled. One role that we're still looking for some help with is in the kids' men area. And so if, you, if you're ready to say, hey, I'm all in, I want to help out, help make that a thriving community, we'd love to have you kind of show interest in that. Or if you're just kind of saying, I don't know if I'm ready to sign at any sort of dotted line yet, but tell me more information, uh, we'd love to have you reach out to Erin Nelson. She's the Kidman Director at our Elkhorn campus, and you can reach Erin at enelson at brookside.net. And she can just tell you a little bit more about what that looks like to serve with Kidsmen out at Elkhorn. And then as we look ahead to that, in two weeks, on November 3rd, we'll also be starting out a brand new sermon series called Be Remarkable, Be Remarkable, Five Values to Define Your Life. And what we'll do in that series is we'll continue to open up the Bible every week, which we always do at Brookside, and we'll be asking these sorts of questions that, that a lot of us are asking. We'll be asking, what, what sorts of values define and drive a remarkable life? Well, what, what are the values that drive and define a remarkable church? So really looking forward to getting into all of that here in two weeks. It's, it's coming, Brookside, and so, so we should get excited about that. Well, now for today. Today, we're going to be talking about something that, that for most of us and for most of our lives fills up more of our waking time than any other single thing. Today, we're talking about work. Right? Your favorite thing to talk about or to think about on the weekends, right? But, but even if you don't have a regular 8 to 5 job, and if you think, oh man, I can check out for the next 30 minutes or so, don't check out. Let me show you why you still need to stay dialed in. Because if you're a student, you still need to work. Your job right now is to study. You need to learn how to, how to follow through on assignments you're given. You need to learn how to relate well to the teachers you have. Right, the fun ones, but also the strict ones. Or if you're unemployed, I'm sure you're working hard to find a job. If you stay at home taking care of kids and, and keeping the chaos that is, schedules and activities and just everything that goes into to, to household stuff, right? You know all about work. You just don't get a punch in and punch out. Or if you are tired, just because you have some more flexibility and freedom in terms of how you spend your time, you know that your gifts, the way God has uniquely wired you, they are still so valuable in terms of investing in those around you. And so there are lessons for all of us 
and what the Bible says about this very practical topic, what the Bible says about work. Did you know that the average person spends more than 90,000 hours at work over the course of their lifetimes? Or if we want to look at it in, in weekly increments, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average American works 44 hours a week, or 8.8 hours a day. A 2014 National Gallup poll put that average number at 47 hours a week, or 9.4 hours a day, with many, with many saying they work at least 50 hours a week. In demanding competitive industries like, like tech and finance, that number goes up even higher to 60-plus hours a week, and then people are always available by smartphone. And so all of that to say work is a big part of our lives, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. You see, all the way back at the start of our Bibles, in the first two chapters, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we learn that God created us to work. God created us to create and to cultivate, to bring order out of chaos, to, to use all of the unique ways that you have been individually gifted, to, to use those things to, to advance good in the world around you. And all of this is before sin even entered the world. And so one of the foundational Christian truths about work is that work is good. And so the goal isn't to find freedom from work, right? Your goal shouldn't be to, to binge on Netflix all day, every day, until you just kind of collapse into some sugar coma on the couch. That's not, what, that's not what our end goal should be. God didn't create us to find freedom from work. God created us to find freedom in work, where we find the fulfillment that comes from saying, God uniquely gifted me, and here's how I can contribute meaningfully in the lives of those around me. But another foundational truth about work is that work isn't ultimate. And so work is good, but it's not God. God himself rested from his work after creation. This is why God instituted this rhythm of rest into our lives as his creation, right? Because we're human beings, not human doings. And so again, all of that to say, work is a big part of our lives. And in its proper place, that is a great thing. You have passions and abilities that can contribute to the, to the good of others around you in a way that nobody else can. But even with that foundation, that that work is good in its proper place, I think there are still a lot of questions that people have about what good work looks like. What is work that, that honors God? What is work the way God designed it? What does that look like? Catherine Leary Alsdorf is one example of this. Catherine worked for 25 years in the high-tech industry. She was, she was an economic analyst, and she, she had grown to, to executive positions of leadership. She was a leader at the highest level, and she's a strong believer in Jesus Christ. But listen to what she writes in the foreword of a book that she contributed to with Tim Keller. Catherine says, I believed in the truth of the gospel, that God created all things and, and created man in his image and, and then sent his son to redeem all things that had been broken. And I believed that God had a purpose for me as a worker and a leader along with many other people who could make a positive difference in the world. But then listen to this. But in the competitive, win-at-all-costs workplace where I had to manage and lead, I had no idea how to live out God's plan. Catherine was a follower of Jesus. She believed the gospel. She knew what Christianity was. 
but she had no idea. Her words, she had no idea how to live that out Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. And I wonder how many of us listening in today are asking those same sort of questions, are in the same boat that she is, asking questions like this, well, what is following Jesus? What is being transformed by the gospel? What does that mean for my life tomorrow on Monday? What does that mean for the projects that I'm kind of coming up on the deadline against? Right? What does that mean for my life 8 to 5, Monday through Friday, for the 40, 50, or 60 hours I'll spend at work this week. This is where Ephesians 6 comes into the rescue. In this immensely practical passage, the Apostle, the Apostle Paul, what he does is he zeroes in on our working lives, and he shows us what the gospel, the, the gospel that he spent so much of Ephesians talking about. Now he's just building on that very practically, and he says, okay, this is what following Jesus looks like. This is what following Jesus offers now let's zero in and show you what that means for your life at work. Here's what we'll see from Ephesians 6 today. We'll see how to be a good employee. And this matters for all of us because everyone here reports to someone, right? Either your manager or, or a board or the customers that you need to keep coming back so you'll stay in business. So, so this has something to say to, to employees. This, this has something to say to bosses, for anyone who leads, manages, or influences others. We'll see how to, how to be a good boss from Ephesians 6. And, and, then, and then Paul shows us who changes us from the inside out so we can live the sort of transformed lives at work that we'll see in Ephesians chapter 6. And so when we're done today, you probably won't be doing something else tomorrow for work, right? right? That's not my goal, for your job to change, because pretty much any line of work can and does add value to others. It has tremendous purpose. Instead, here's what my goal is today. My goal is that as we look at Ephesians 6, you'll have fresh vision for how to do whatever it is that you do. You'll see why it matters for you to do that well. Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. So this is about how you can bring character. Character that's been transformed deeply by the gospel. You'll see how to bring that sort of character into your work environments. Here's, here's why we've got to talk about this. Here's why I get so passionate about this personally. Because if you attend church every Sunday from the age of 20 to 60, you'll be in church a, about 2,500 hours worth of time. But, but during that same period of time between the ages of 20 and 60, you will spend upwards of 90,000 hours at work. Your workplace is a primary place that you live out your faith. Here at our Millard campus, there, there's a sign on the wall that says, for the city. That just helps, helps us keep thinking how to live out our faith outside the four walls of a church building. How, how following Jesus, how it transforms our lives and our relationships during the week. And, and there are all sorts of ways to live for the city. There are all sorts of ways we want to live for the city. But Brookside, don't miss the, the way to live for the city that's staring us in the face at work, at the place you'll spend 90,000 hours over the course of your life. And so, all right, let's get into Ephesians 6. Verses 5 to 9 is where we're going. 
Here's what the passage says. Verse 5, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. All right, I'm going to finish that out in a second, but before we go any further, I need to call a timeout and address the fact that Paul is writing to slaves here in this passage. Because some of you, especially skeptics, they point to this passage and they say, that right there, that shows that Christianity is socially backwards and exploits others. They say, if that's what Christianity is about, I don't want any of it. And so, so let's spend a second and, and say, not so fast. Let's make sure we don't dismiss Christianity. Let's make sure we don't dismiss this book because of a, mis- of a misunderstanding about historical and cultural context. You see, in the 21st century where we live, when we hear the word slavery, we think of the abuse of slave trade and all the slave practices of the American South, right? Practices that hurt the heart of God, terrible, abusive practices. Or we think of modern-day slavery and all of the human trafficking that just brings tears to our eyes when we see about it on the news. But, but we need to understand that slavery in the first century Greco-Roman world well, was different than what we probably first think of when we hear the word slavery. It, it's not comparing apples to apples. Many slaves in the first centuries, get this, they were slaves voluntarily. That they could choose this as a way of life to pay off debt or actually to advance in social status. Because slaves would be educated in their trade. And so there would be slaves that would be custodians or, or teachers or physicians. And so many of them sought on a, on a path to get on a, better, to, to get on a better path in life. Slavery wasn't race-based. Slavery in the Roman world had representatives from many races, and you couldn't identify a slave just by physical appearance. And in many cases, slavery wasn't permanent. They could gain free status after a period of work, right? That they could be granted freedom by their masters at any time. Almost 50% of slaves were freed in the first century by the time they were 30 years old. And so this doesn't mean that slavery in the first century was good, right? In fact, others have pointed out how the Bible's instructions about slavery, or about human dignity, rather, the Bible's instructions about human dignity, even in passages like the one we're going to look at today, it actually created the context in which the institution of slavery, what one guy by the name of F.F. F. Bruce said, it, it would wither and die, Right? Let's not forget that it was Christians like William Wilberforce who were tireless advocates of abolishing the slave trade in the 19th century. Let's not forget it was, it was Martin Luther King Jr.'s Christian principles that drove him to lean so strongly on the Bible in his pursuit of civil rights. And so when we understand this historical context, it helps us approach Ephesians 6 in the right way. There are clear parallels to what we're talking about today, employees and employers, right? To, to, to the work culture that we go into. What following Jesus means for our lives during the week. All right, kind of a long media time out there. But, but that was important, right? Because we don't want to dismiss this passage. We want to look at this passage and say, what does this teach us about a very, about a very natural parallel it has to my life during the week? Ephesians 6, let me just pick it back up again in verse 5. We'll, we'll get all the way through the passage this time. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you. 
um, lost my place, when their eyes on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And then verse 9, he addresses masters. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So, so as we start to dig into this passage even more deeply, we see that Paul first gives us some principles that this shows how to be a good employee. And I'll lift out three qualities that Paul highlights here. The first one is respect. Paul says to obey with respect and fear. Now, now the idea here isn't that we cower in fear whenever our boss walks by the cubicle or by our office, right? The, the, the idea is that we show honor to those in authority over us. We, we exercise very evident humility in our lives. And so this means we're not rebellious, even in subtle ways in the workplace. We don't undermine our boss's decisions behind his or her back. You work toward the goals of the business instead of against them. And so this has to do with things that, that are as basic, but that are as important even as the tone of voice that you use when you talk to, when you talk to your boss or honestly, when you talk about your boss, when you're unpacking the day with friends and family later on in the evening. My oldest, he's a freshman this year at the high school where he attends. And the entire life code of the band program that he's in at this high school, the entire life code is summed up in one word, respect. And at orientation, the band director said, that's because if the students can get this one thing right, if they can respect themselves, if they can respect others, and if they can respect the program, he said, everything else will fall into place. Respect is that big of a deal. And this has made such a difference in the culture of this band program. I'm sure this is one reason it's the largest band program in the state. The, 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 the band program at this school is larger even than the band program at the university in Lincoln. And I've seen the difference it's made in Karsten, right? It's, it's pushed him. There, there are high expectations. They ask a lot of them, but Carson has enjoyed it because, because he's building friendships, and he's starting to see the payoff that comes from, from discipline in the best sense of the word. And it all ties back to respect. Respect is that big of a deal. I think the Apostle Paul would say the same thing. He, he would say respect is that big of a deal. And so in your, in your respective work environments, are you showing honor to others? Especially to those in authority over you, maybe in this passage, but, but really it applies to everyone. Are you showing honor? Are you practicing humility? Are you showing respect? The, the second quality that Paul highlights here in Ephesians 6 is integrity. That's what this phrase, sincerity of heart, means in verse 5. It, it literally means singleness of heart. It means your attention isn't divided. And so this means that while you're working, you, you aren't using company time to scroll through personal Facebook posts. It means you're not using company time to catch up on all the latest Husker news. It, integrity means that you don't lie uh, on terms of, in terms of when you punch in and punch out or, or how you spend your work hours. It, mean, it means you bring high moral, high moral standards and apply them even in the difficult situations that you face in the workplace. 
when I was in college, I worked in a lumber yard downtown for a couple of years. And since I knew Omaha pretty well, I grew up here, uh, I, I was asked to do some deliveries for the company around town. And, and I, I found out pretty quickly from other delivery drivers that, that they would use this delivery time for personal errands. That the one that I remember is, is one guy who, who went out and got fitted and, and purchased a suit on his way to or from a delivery. Maybe he was doing that for the job interview that he would need to have, right? If he ever got found out. But, but Paul is telling us, as followers of Jesus, he's calling us to a higher standard. He's saying, maintain integrity in the workplace. The third quality of being a good employee that we'll highlight is the quality of being wholehearted. This is where you bring your best to work. You don't cut corners, but you, 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 you care about the product you're creating. You care about the people that you're serving. You care about the attitude that you manifest at work. You keep learning. You work to get better. Carrie and I, we're raising four boys who, who are really young men. And, and it's not going to be long before our four boys are doing more than mowing our lawn and doing chores around their house around our house. It's not going to be long before they're getting their own part-time jobs during the summer, during the school year. It's not going to be that long before they're jumping into their own careers as men. And what we've seen from Ephesians 6, it gives me as a dad, it gives me and Carrie as parents, gives us such practical tools to, to raise young men who will bring all of their unique gifts and contribute good in whatever career God has for them. Man, if I can just get them to, to show respect, to, to, to maintain integrity, and to work wholeheartedly, they will contribute well to the world around them. But this isn't just for us as parents raising the next generation. This is for all of us this next week. Some of you now, you've been in the same job for a couple decades, and, and you, you know that you've lost the passion you had when you were 23, when, when you were first starting this particular job. Or, or maybe the issue is respect, and you, you have a tougher and tougher time respecting people that are 23 and 24 years old coming into the workplace. You have a tougher and tougher time respecting people who are 40 or 50 or 60 if you're 23 years old. Your issue is respect, maybe. What Paul says here applies to all of us. Show respect maintain integrity, and work with all your heart. Keep working with all your heart. Others of you, you're, you're unemployed or, or you're in a very temporary position. You're a student working towards your career that you want. You feel like, maybe I can skip over what Paul is saying here. Maybe I can skip over that until I land my dream job. L let me remind you of something that, that I'm sure you already know. Y your, your attitude isn't going to change just because your job situation does. Instead, we need to start fixing these characteristics in us, deeply in us now. Because that way, whenever we land our dream job, we'll be set. Or you know what? Even if you, even if you don't land your dream job, even then, you'll still serve God honorably, showing respect, maintaining integrity, and working wholeheartedly in whatever it is that you'll do Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. So, so that's what Paul says to employees. Let's now turn the corner and see what he, what he says about being a good boss. Right out of the gate, Paul says, 
verse 9, everything I just said to employees, right, it, it relates just as much to bosses. Verse 9, he says, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. The same way how? Respect. Integrity. And even as bosses working with all of your heart. As you, as you climb the ladder in terms of position and authority, you never get any sort of free pass out of the attitudes Paul has been talking about, right? If, if you sit around the, the, the C-suite in your business, if you manage others at any level, these same attitudes that Paul has just commanded of employees, that they apply just as equally to you as leaders, as employers, as bosses in your organization. Respect, integrity, working with all of your heart. And then he shows us what this means in very practical terms, right? He says, don't threaten others. Christianity calls us to lead in a very different way where, where, we, where we never abuse power, but power is an opportunity to serve. Because if you're showing respect to someone, if, if you're maintaining integrity, you can't practice threatening or abusive leadership, right? If you're showing dignity to someone, you can't use your position of authority to kind of get big. You can't use your position of authority to bully others around means your position of leadership is just greater accountability to serve well. And then Paul adds the big reason behind this that, that every leader needs to hear is because you, as a leader, you're still accountable to God yourself. You see, you don't get any special treatment in God's eyes because of your title at work. There's no favoritism with God. That's what the passage says. You never rise so high in terms of leadership that, that you as a leader aren't still under the authority of Christ yourself. And so for bosses and employers, yes, of course, this means that we still need to lead well. We still need to make difficult personnel decisions that are probably just always going to keep you up at night. You still hold people accountable to goals and to standards in the workplace. What, what Paul is saying here doesn't erase lines of authority but it has everything to do with how those lines of authority get expressed in your work culture. So far, we've been focusing on these, on these very clear commands that Paul, give, that, that Paul gives to employees and to bosses. This is one of those, this is one of those passages where the, where the tough part isn't understanding what Paul is saying here. The, the tough part is applying what Paul says here. And that's why I'm so glad for what we'll see in this third point See, Paul doesn't only tell us what to do at work or how to do it. He tells us who to focus on if we're going to live this way. Paul, Paul focuses our attention on who changes us from the inside out, who energizes our hearts. So we actually want to live in this way that he's been talking about in Ephesians 6. Paul says we need to be changed by a great Savior. Jesus is all over this passage we've been talking about. If you, if you look closely... In these five verses, by my count, Jesus is referred to at least six times, which is a lot, by the way. I mean, let's look at a couple of these, verses 7 and 8. Paul says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. That's Jesus, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward you for whatever good you do, whether slave or free. And so Jesus changes our motivation Maybe you're underappreciated at work, but, but that's no excuse to perform poorly or to work against the organization that's currently employing you. You see, you don't give your best 
just to impress your boss. You don't give your best just so you earn a little bit more next year than you did last year. It's good to, it's good to work well with your boss. It's, it's fine to get a raise. But, but the, the reason that you work your hardest, the, the reason that you do your best, bottom line, because it brings honor to Jesus. Jesus sees what you're doing, and whether it's in this life or whether it's in eternity forward, you'll be rewarded for the good that you do. Even the good that you do Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. Jesus sees it. And then to bosses in verse 9. Paul says, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. Jesus drastically changes our style of leadership. You see, the reason Paul gives for godly leadership is Jesus. Bosses, you're accountable to Jesus. And since Jesus doesn't show favoritism, you need to show care and dignity to everyone as well, regardless of their position at any level in your organization. What, what all of this shows is that Paul in no way compartmentalizes faith and work. Instead, Paul shows us that Jesus provides the huge why behind everything we do at work. For, for Paul, there's no wall between faith and work. For Paul, I think he would say, your faith as followers of Jesus, it infuses your work. So, so others see you and say, well, why does he work differently? Well, why is she showing that sort of respect? Our faith has everything to do with our work. And so if we zoom out from this passage in Ephesians, we see that Jesus perfectly models the sort of character that Paul has been pointing us towards. I mean, the, the best example of this from the Gospels that, that I can think of comes in Mark 10, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and, and he's talking to them about, about, about true greatness. And, and everybody, right, wants to be a great employee. Everybody wants to be a great boss. And so, so when he's talking about greatness, let's look at this through the lens of what we've been talking about today. What does it mean to be great at work? Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples in, in Mark 10, verse 43. He says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And so this is level five leadership way before Jim Collins. He says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, let's talk about Jesus, for even the Son of Man himself didn't come to serve, but to, or come to, he didn't come to be served, but to serve. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As employees or employers, we can serve others in, in all the ways we've been, we've been looking at today. We, we can serve others with respect. We can show integrity. We can work wholeheartedly because we've been served in the biggest way by our Savior. We all know Monday is coming. We all know Monday is around the corner. And what you do this Monday for work is probably going to look a whole lot like what you did last Monday for work, what you're going to do for work a few Mondays from now. But remember our goal today, not to change what you do, but, but to show how our faith as followers of Jesus, it changes how we do it. It changes why we work the way we work. That quote I read 
from Catherine Larry Alsdorf. Remember that, what I read earlier? How she understood the core truths of Christianity, how, how, she how she believed the gospel, but in her competitive work environment where she had to manage and lead, she said she had no idea what, what her Christian faith meant for that. Ephesians 6 gives us such a great head start for showing, for showing us what our faith in Jesus means for our life Monday through Friday. Ephesians 6 gets practical. It shows us how being transformed by the gospel transforms our work during the week. And really, everything we've been talking about, it boils down to character. Whether you're blue-collar or white-collar, whether you work in a trade or whether you're a knowledge worker, boss or employee, how can you apply the character that we've seen today from Ephesians 6 into what's coming up this next week? Because you know what's coming up this next week. You know the meetings you're going to be in. You know the conversations you're going to have. You, you know the difficult people you're going to need to deal with. You know the deadlines you're up against. You know the deals that somebody's trying to get you to compromise on. What does Ephesians 6 mean for your life at work this week? How can you show respect in a fresh way to others at every level of the organization? How will you show value and dignity to, to those over you in terms of the organizational chart, to those, to those lateral with you, and, and to those underneath you on the chart? How can you stand out in terms of showing respect? How will you maintain integrity? Where, where, where you know that deal that, that somebody else is just trying to get you to fudge the lines on a little bit, how will you maintain integrity? You, you know the relationship at work that, that is maybe pulling you away from a spouse, how will you maintain integrity at work? How will you work wholeheartedly? How will you keep getting better at what you're doing? How will you show respect to others, right? In terms of attitude, bringing your best attitude, caring for others, caring about the product you make, how will you bring your best to work? Show respect. Maintain integrity. Work wholeheartedly. Work side. Imagine the difference that we would make for the city, in the world. If we stood out in our workplaces in the ways Paul has been talking about here in Ephesians 6, where we can be great workers, where we can be great bosses because we've been changed by a great Savior. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, I, I thank you for a word that gives us such practical insight into, into how the great truths of the gospel, into how it informs and shapes our lives during the week. And, and Jesus, maybe now the best way to start is, is with some confession. Jesus, some of us need to confess the, the ways that, that we have not been showing respect, the ways we have not been maintaining integrity, the ways we've been not been working wholeheartedly in our jobs. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's cutting corners. Maybe it's... Jesus, we confess that. And Jesus, we, we commit in a fresh way to saying, let, let us be the sort of people that are so transformed by the gospel, by what Jesus has done for us, 